So we are wrapping up our four-week sermon series called Cover to Cover, where we're looking at this metaphor that's found throughout Scripture of a garden. In the first week of the series, we looked at Genesis chapter 2, where God creates all of creation, Genesis 1 and 2, but in Genesis chapter 2, God creates a garden, and he places humanity in it, in the Garden of Eden. And the big takeaway from that message was that God created everything, and that we are to be grateful to God. So our challenge at the end of the sermon was to pray five times a day. To pray as soon as you wake up in the morning, to pray at breakfast, to pray at lunch, to pray, pray at dinner, and to pray right before you go to bed. To pray a very simple prayer of God, thank you. God, thank you. So week two of the series, we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed right before his crucifixion. And... Uh, the challenge at the end of this, that sermon was to add to that prayer, God, thank you, not my will, but your will be done. Then last week, Pastor Andy preached from the Gospel of John, and we looked at the garden tomb, which is the area where Jesus was crucified and resurrected, where his love for humanity and love for the world was put on display for all to see. And so we were to add on to our prayer, God, thank you, not my will, but your will be done. I am deeply loved by you. And I can't do anything, and I didn't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. Okay? So today we're going to look at the garden found in Revelation chapter 22 at the very end of the Bible. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you have brown with you, or grab them uh, from your pews that are right there in front of you. So I should see everybody has a Bible. And go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 22 all the way to the right in the Bible, all the way to the right. Go ahead and turn there. Before we look at this passage... Uh, we're actually going to start in Revelation 21, sorry. Before we look at this passage, we're going to talk about something real quick, okay? I want you to turn to the person next to you, and you're going to take the next two minutes, all right? So one person's going to talk for one minute, the next person's going to talk for the next minute, and I want you to talk about this question. It's going to be up on the screen, okay? What is one thing you are really looking forward to? What is one thing you're really looking forward to? It might be, hey... I'm really looking forward to lunch after this, okay? It might be that. You might be, hey, I'm 15, and I'm looking, I'm looking to get my driver's license soon. I'm really looking forward to get my driver's license. It might be, hey, we got this family vacation. We got this trip coming up. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Uh, you might be really looking forward to retirement coming up. Whatever it might be, talk to your neighbor. What's one thing you're really looking forward to? Go ahead and take the next couple of minutes and talk about that. switch it up. Let the other person talk now. All right? Let the other person talk now. What's one thing you're really looking forward to?
All right, I'm used to working with students, so raise your hand if you want to share. Raise your hand. What's one thing you're really looking forward to? Raise your hand. Raise your hand up. Come on. What's one thing you're really looking forward to? Yes. Turning 35. There you go. Turning 35. What, what's one thing you're really looking forward to? Say that. Sorry, say it again. Becoming debt-free. Right? I think I saw one over here. No? What's one thing you're really looking forward to? Amen, right? Amen. Awesome. So I bring that up because this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is the ultimate Christian hope. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus, for those of us who shoulder our cross daily and follow him, this is what we're looking forward to. This is what our soul is yearning for in this passage. The first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, there's no sin or evil in that point in human history, okay? Because sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. And the last two chapters of the Bible... Uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's no sin in them because God deals with ultimately with sin and evil in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. So the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible have no sin in them. And this whole big space in between is a big detour we have that exists to get from point A to point B. And so that ending point that this passage talks about is our ultimate Christian hope, the things that we are looking forward to. And the last two chapters of the Bible are the grand conclusion of the whole scripture, and they cannot be more fitting. So join me, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This expectation that one day God will come and set the world to rights is our ultimate Christian hope. God will restore the world to the way he desires it to be. The flawed and unjust system that exists in our world will be dealt with once and for all. This system has passed away. It has departed. Chaos and turmoil will be a thing of the past. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. The final resting place of God's people is here on earth. It's not in another realm in space and time. It's a restored, reclaimed, and renewed earth here in a city. The author here uses a marriage metaphor of a bride beautifully dressed for her heaven because heaven and earth are joined together, and they become one. The story of humanity begins in a garden, and it ends in a city with a garden in it. This final image of a city with a garden is the, was the ultimate goal to begin with. Way back in Genesis 1, this was the goal all along, for God's creation to grow, for it to mature, and develop into something more. From a garden to a garden city. Garden and city interwoven in perfect stewardship. 
both the beauty of the countryside and the developments of a city all in the same place. When God comes, God does not recreate Eden. God, God does not just revert back to the way things were in Genesis 1 and 2, but rather he creates a city with a garden in it for God and humanity to dwell together. This word restoration is often used when, it, when we talk about this stage of, uh, of human history, restoration, but it has its limits, uh, as all words do. Uh, when we think of restore, we think of reverting, of putting back in previous condition, okay, of reverting back. Okay, raise your hand if you like to watch HGTV. Raise your hand if you like to watch HGTV. All right, all right. Uh, so if you think about this word restoration of a house, it's not just reverting back, it's moving things forward. So imagine this, all right. Imagine you have a house that was built with generations and generations and generations and generations ago. And it was built with the best craftsmanship, the best materials, okay, really high quality house that was built. And then the homeowner moved in, right? And that homeowner, no matter how well a house is built, a house requires upkeep, right? Doesn't matter how nice the house is, you have to upkeep the house. And so imagine that the person that moves in doesn't keep up with the upkeep, and not only that, but sometimes unintentionally, but oftentimes more than not, intentionally, the homeowner damages the home, okay? And this goes on for generation after generation until one day something great comes along and says, I want to restore this old home, okay? That person or that entity doesn't restore it back to exactly the way it was when it was built. It makes it look like new. It cleans it up, and it update, but it updates everything, okay? It progresses it forward. It puts modern conveniences in there. Same house but it's been restored, reclaimed, renewed, and moved forward. And that's what God's doing here with this garden city. It's not a reverting back to Eden. It's moving forward. That is where God is taking all of us. That is where human history is going forward. Not stationary and not backwards, but forward. And this idea as the church, as the bride of Christ, this is a vision that we also must completely embrace with this forward mentality. But this can be hard, right? This can be hard because if things are moving forward, that means things are going to change. And, all cha and I struggle with change. Change is difficult for me because all change involves loss of an ending of something, and then things are changing, move forward. So all change involves loss. That's why it's so difficult. I'm not talking about keeping up with the Joneses or buying the latest and greatest technology, buying the iPhone X billion or whatever the current one is, or the latest gaming console or latest car. I'm not talking about those things. And a lot of times in our culture, we get frustrated with the ever-changing technological pace of our culture of, I just bought this, but now it's update, outdated, and it's obsolete. It doesn't make any sense to me. I just spent a fortune on it. Um, it's not that idea. A lot of times we get frustrated with that, and we take, take out those frustrations in the wrong area, okay? Our church does not follow the latest and greatest CEO of whatever popular company of the time. Our church is not trending with whatever selling on market shelves. We follow Jesus, Okay? 
We follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to be great, then you need to serve. And a servant puts the needs of others before their own. In another way, when we come here to church, the church is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. None of us here died on the cross. That's what Jesus did. And so we come here, we focus around one mission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we need to be laser-focused on that vision. And if we stray even just a little bit from it, if we're focused on anything other than making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, then we no longer become the church. We become something else. That means the church, our methods of ministry, do not need to look the same across human history. That means that uh, they look different, uh, varying on whatever kind of culture it finds itself in. They grow, they adapt, they change, they mature. If we're so focused on the way things were done in the past, or keeping things the same, then we are in trouble. In the words of Reverend Dave Enbricht of Napanee Missionary Church, if your memories of the past are greater than your dreams for the future, then you are writing your final chapter. I am convinced God is not done here at Stockbridge First United Methodist Church. I'm convinced, I'm not done yet, I'm convinced that our greatest days are not behind us. I'm, great, I'm convinced that our greatest days, that we are not even in the midst of our greatest days as a church. I'm convinced that our greatest days are forward with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I believe God is not done here yet. Raise your hand, and I want them like up, so like above your head. Raise your hand if change is hard for you. Raise your hand if change is hard. Keep them up. Look around. Look around. We are not alone. Change is hard for me. Change is hard for a lot of you. We are not alone. But with Christ leading us, not with whatever's trending, not with whatever will change and, and be outdated six months from now, but with Christ leading us forward, we will follow him. Amen? So one more time, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. One more time, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to take a couple minutes, and I want you to talk about this question. Talk about this question. And let's just be honest. If you didn't like the person you were talking to before, go ahead and get up and go switch, all right? All right. Um, so go ahead and talk about this question. Do you prefer the gray outdoors or the dynamic city? All right. So if you're, if you're going to plan a trip, if you're going to go do something, what would kind of be the focal point? Would you want to go and get some really good food uh, downtown or would you want to go on, on a hike or go, go sit somewhere and, and watch, watch the sunset? Which do you prefer? If you had a choice, the great outdoors or the dynamic city, go ahead and talk to your neighbor about that for a few minutes.
All right, it's the other person's turn. All right, add to this of, uh, name that place, okay? Not just, oh, I prefer the great outdoors, but, but name that place, all right? Like, I, I love Stone Mountain or whatever it is. So take, take the next 30 seconds or so and let the other person talk. Go ahead and talk about that. All right, so raise your hands. Who prefers the great outdoors? Raise your hands. All right, all right. Raise your hand if you're like, no, I like the dy dynamic city, okay? Who says I wanna eat some food in some air conditioning, right? Right, all right. Um, so we're gonna turn the chapter now to Revelation chapter 22. Then I saw, verse one, Revelation chapter 22, verse one. Then, uh, then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water shining like crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the lamb through the middle of the city's main street. So we get a picture of what this garden city looks like. On each side of the river is a tree of life, which produces 12 crops of fruit, bearing its fruit each month. The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. We were made for this garden city. We love the countryside. We love fresh air, forests, mountains, and streams. We also love the architecture and the culture of the city. This garden city is the perfect blending of those two things. And the very essence of our DNA, we were designed for this. The tree of life. Remember this from Genesis chapter 2? The tree of life. The passage of Revelation says, The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. Nations are able to be healed because the nation's people come to the same place to pay homage to God. They are not focused on what divides them. They are focused on what unites them. They find unity within diversity. In this vision of the future, there is no room for hatred. There's no room for bigotry. There's no room for racism or fear of something else. Those things are gone. Those things have passed away in a place where every tribe, tongue, and nation come together to celebrate Jesus has come into existence. The kingdom of heaven is not monocultural. What is beautiful about our church is that we have, we worship Jesus together. We have people of many different ethnicities, different political views, different socioeconomics, different ages. We have the whole gamut here, different people coming together to worship Jesus. I'm so proud to be at a church that celebrates that, where we can celebrate Jesus together. I'm proud to serve here, and I'm so excited for my two children to be raised in that context. The tree of life heals the nation. This tree gets its nourishment from the power of life-giving water that flows from the throne of God. This is the hope of the world. Jesus is our hope. He's the hope to, to heal, heal our broken relationships. He's our hope to help us overcome our financial struggles. He's our hope to bring us comfort in the midst of our loneliness. He is, the, he is our hope to cure us of our sicknesses. So if Jesus is our hope, that means nothing else can be. Not politicians, not government programs, not material wealth, not climbing the corporate ladder, 
not retirement accounts or pensions or anything else. Um, all those things, in a way, in and of themselves, are good. Um, I hope you guys are, are saving for retirement. I hope you guys are, are planning towards that. I'm glad that we have uh, rules, laws, and governing authorities, but those are not our ultimate hope. We don't put our faith and trust in those things because if we do, they will ultimately let us down because they don't go as far as what they need to. Jesus is our only hope. So my question is, where have you placed your hope? If it's anything other than Jesus, I guarantee you, guarantee you that you will be discouraged or disappointed someday along the line because it's going to let you down. What do you need to be healed of this morning? May you put your hope in Jesus as he leads you forward, as he leads our church forward. He will never leave you nor forsake you. At the end of each of these of the sermons of this series, we've been asked to, been challenged to pray five times a day. As soon as you wake up in the morning, at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, and right before you go to bed. God, thank you. Not my will, but your will be done. I am deeply loved by you, and I did nothing to earn it or deserve it. My challenge to you this week is to add to that prayer, heal me, God. You are my only hope. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for giving us another day. God, I pray that we would reflect in our lives and focus on what our ultimate hope is. God, may we not be afraid of you moving us forward because you are leading the way. God, may you bring us healing where we need to be healed. God, may you bring us comfort where we need to have comfort. Bring others to, into our lives that look like you to encourage us and bring us that hope. God, thank you. Not our will, but your will be done. We are deeply loved by you, and we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. Heal us, God. You are our only hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.